Luke 15, and it's a long reading, but we're going to read the whole chapter. It's important for this evening's message. Luke 15, beginning to read at verse 1. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he left it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth to gather his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house, and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the piece which I had lost. Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hard servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before thee, and no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hard servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. And I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servant, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring in his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. 
And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead, and is alive again, and was lost, and is found. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your blessing. It maketh rich, and you add no sorrow with it. And we pray, Father, in my weakness, that you would anoint my lips. And even in the weakness of my voice still tonight, Lord, that you would enable me to carry through this time of bringing thy word. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we pray, anoint ears to hear, hearts to receive, and even believe you, for your word is truth. So, Father, glorify your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for it's in his name we pray and ask it. Amen. <clears throat> Let me get a drink. For those of you who weren't out this morning, I'm just recovering from laryngitis. But water works wonders, doesn't it? <clears throat> Adam's ill. <laughs> the Lord Jesus is speaking here at the beginning in the outset of Luke 15 speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes of Jewry these leaders of the Jews have come to him and Jesus gives them a parable pardon me three parables in our chapter of three lost things in our reading from verses 1 to 6 we have a lost sheep from verses 8 and 9, we have a lost silver. And verses 11 to 32, we have the lost son. The lost sheep, the lost silver, the lost son. All three parables, on all three occasions, there's a good ending. There's a great ending. In all three of them, there is rejoicing. The shepherd, for example, in verse 5, if you look at it, says, and when he hath found it, that is the sheep, he left it on his shoulders rejoicing. Verse 6 says, and when he cometh home, he calleth to gather his friends and neighbors saying unto them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep. Notice, my sheep, which was lost. The lost sheep was already owned by him and had become lost and he sought it and he found it. The woman who lost the silver, when she finds it in verse 9, look at the reading. She says, Rejoice with me, for I have found the piece which I had lost. Sometimes we call it the lost coin. The piece which I had lost. And then the father, in our third parable of our chapter, in verse 23, the returning of the son, says, Let us eat and be merry. Verse 24, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. So the three parables end well. The whole chapter is a chapter of God seeking his sheep. A chapter of God redeeming his own back. It's a chapter of salvation and redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ. The parables, these illustrations are what it's like even in heaven, when a sinner repents. Notice in verse 7, the Lord Jesus says, I say unto you that likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. Notice, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. Remember, he's talking to the Pharisees here. 
They were self-righteous. They thought they could keep not only God's law, but their own 613 laws for salvation. The Lord Jesus said to them at one point, he says that they're trying to keep the law. He says, search the scriptures, for those are they which testify of me. He says, so in Christ alone is salvation. Look at verse 10. Likewise, the Lord Jesus says, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth not. I don't want to throw something on its head, you on your head here and you're, you're thinking what you've been taught. But we're always told the angels are rejoicing in heaven over one sinner repenteth. And that's true. But that's not really what it means. Notice there is joy in the presence of the angels. Notice there's joy in the presence of the angels. The angels don't know what it's like to be redeemed. They look into these matters for the fallen angels who lost their first estate will be cast into a lake of fire. So these angels in heaven, there's joy in their presence. And the idea is that the Father is rejoicing at what the Son has accomplished. And so his joy, the angels enter into the Father's joy. Isn't that amazing? To think that whenever a man and a woman turned from their sin, who are called and drawn by the Holy Spirit and awakened out of the deadness of their heart. And they see the Lord Jesus. The Holy Ghost turns you. You know, you can't turn yourself. The Holy Ghost, he turns you, wakens you, makes you alive unto God. And he turns you to behold the Lamb who died in your place. So likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. The angels are in the presence of God, and God, that is the Father, the great eternal Spirit, which fills heavens and the earth, he rejoices. Brothers and sisters, whenever we hear of a soul being saved, we should be rejoicing. We should be the gladdest people to hear that a man and a woman has come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice Luke 15 and 5 at the word rejoicing for a moment. Luke 15 and verse 5. The Lord Jesus says, And when he hath found it, that is the lost sheep, he left it on his shoulders rejoicing. The word rejoicing, I'm sure we all know what it is to rejoice, but the word rejoicing here means simply to be cheerful, to be cheerful, to be calmly happy, having an accomplishment and contentment. I want to say it again. It means to be cheerful, to be calmly happy, with a sense of accomplishment and contentment. So notice here, when the Lord Jesus, the shepherd of the sheep, when he goes out to seek the lost, when a man and a woman are saved, when they are brought from their darkness into his marvelous light, we find that the Lord Jesus carries us home. He put the sheep over his two shoulders. You know, whenever the Lord saves you, he keeps you and he carries you. And notice this, he rejoices in heart. The idea is it's a, it's a it's a rejoicing within a man and a woman. It's a rejoicing of accomplishment and contentment. Now listen, it changes here. For example, in Isaiah 53 and verse 11, prophesied of the Lord Jesus Christ, 700 plus years before he even came and died at Calvary. 
Notice what it says, Isaiah 53 and verse 11. He shall see the travail of his soul shall be satisfied. Scriptures are marvelous, aren't they? Here the prophet, 750 years probably before, here he's saying, he, the Lord Jesus, the one that would come, shall see the travail of his soul, Calvary, and he shall be satisfied. I want to say something that don't mean to upset. But see, in that day, the Lord Jesus Christ will not be disappointed because he came to save and he saved all that the Father gave to him. He will see the travail of his soul and he shall be satisfied. In Luke 15 and verse 6, the word rejoice changes. Look at what he says. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors and saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And the idea of this is that it's an exuberant joy. It's an overflowing joy. That which he has carried, that joy which was possessed within him, the shepherd coming home with the sheep, and that day he says, come rejoice with me. Look, I've rescued the sheep. I've found the sheep that was lost, and now I've brought the sheep home. It gives the idea of an exuberant joy, and it's, it gives the idea it's almost too much for one to bear alone. The joy pours out of the heart of the shepherd. He comes with it full contentment. He shall see the travail of his soul shall be satisfied. And that day when he comes to set up his kingdom and all the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord. When we return to rule and reign with him, he's going to have an overflowing joy. There's going to be an overflowing exuberant praise of joy, even from the Son of God, the great shepherd. And he is saying, Enter in. Enter in to thy joy. Notice something here. Christians should be the happiest people in the world. In fact, Christians should be the happiest people in the universe. If the angels of God can enter into joy at one sinner that repenteth, how much more should the redeemed heart of a lost sheep? Listen to William Gurnall, an old Puritan. Christ takes no more delight to dwell in a sad heart than we do to live in a dark house. (laughs) I thought that was brilliant. Let me read it again to you, just in case you were sleeping. (laughs) Christ takes no more delight to dwell in a sad heart than we do to live in a dark house. An old, dark, dingy, damp house. And he says, would you like to live on it? He says, no. He says, well, Christ doesn't like to live on a sad heart either. (laughs) I thought he was brilliant. Listen to another one, Puritan Thomas Watson. He says, here, joy enters into the saints. In heaven, they enter into joy. (laughs) Here, joy enters into the saints. In heaven, they enter into joy. Brothers and sisters, are you glad you're saved? Are you glad you're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? I'm glad tonight I belong to Christ. We think of the Lord Jesus when he says in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 24. And that day when he's got those who have served him before him, he says, Well done, thy good faithful servant. And he says, Enter thy in to the joy. Notice, enter thy in to the joy of thy Lord. Isn't that tremendous? So the idea is here, there's 
joy in the heart of the Lord at the accomplishment of his son, woken and drawn by his spirit into the kingdom. And the father says, there's coming a day. There's coming a day. And it's not too far away, I believe, when he will break the clouds. The dead will break the sod. And we will be like him. We will be like him. Here are three things this evening to take note of about these three lost things. Remember, we have the lost sheep, we have the lost silver, and we have the lost son. Notice, first of all, they are personal. They are personal. The sheep belongs to the shepherd. For example, in Psalm 80, in verse 1, Almighty God, Yahweh himself, Yehovah, some people call him. Listen to what, they say, what, what the psalmist proclaims through the spirit of prophecy. O thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, O shepherd of Israel. Or O shepherd of Israel, thou that leadest Joseph like a flock. He's called the shepherd of Israel. He led them through the barren lands. He led them through the wilderness. He led them in the Canaan land. He led them all their days. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 13 and verse 20. The Lord Jesus Christ now, the Son of God, is called that great shepherd of the sheep. Notice, that great shepherd of the sheep. And then when we go to 1 Peter Chapter 2 and verse 25. The Lord Jesus is called the shepherd and bishop of our souls. He's the shepherd and bishop of our souls. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4 says, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So here he is in the Old Testament He's the the shepherd that leadeth Joseph. Joseph was a name of the northern kingdom. It's also a name of a man, but this is his his name carried down through the years. Joseph, he says, I that leadeth Joseph like a flock. And then God becomes flesh. The shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Looking in the Gospels, in the New Testament, back the way, we see him called the great shepherd of the sheep, the shepherd and bishop of our souls. The chief shepherd is looking toward him coming again. Jesus from the clouds, the chief shepherd will appear. So the God of the Old Testament, who became flesh, or the God even of eternity, who became flesh in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the shepherd who bled and died for us at Calvary, ascended into heaven, and he's the chief shepherd who is returning again. Listen to what the Lord Jesus says of himself, John chapter 10 and verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Notice that? See the word good there? It's a word kalos in the original text. Do you know what kalos means? He says, I am the attractive one. Ah, yes, he is. When the spirit moves, he's the attractive one. Let me put it like this. In Isaiah 53, we're told that when we see him, when we look at him, 
we don't want him. It says he hath no form nor comeliness. We don't want him. He was rejected. Men still reject him. Women still reject him. They turn away from him. And yet he says, I am the attractive, winsome shepherd. And here this winsome one was almighty God in the flesh. And he's the one who's coming back again to set up his kingdom. But listen to the psalmist in Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is. What is it? Who's shepherd? It's personal. You can hear about him being the shepherd and bishop of our souls. You can hear about him being the good shepherd. You can hear about him being the chief shepherd. You can hear about him being the shepherd of Israel. But you must know him as your shepherd. As your own personal shepherd. Notice this. They are personal. Luke 15 and verse 4. He seeks until he find it. He knew what he was going out for. He knew what he was seeking after. And he found it. He came from heaven and sought us. With his precious blood, he's bought us into his kingdom. He's brought us. Isn't he wonderful? Notice Matthew 18, the Lord Jesus says, that he goeth over the mountains. This is the shepherd. Goeth over the mountains and seeketh that which is gone astray. Even so it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones, one of his sheep, should perish. Or should be lost. Notice. Some people say, well, what's the use in that? All these people. Why just not get on with it, Ken? Why not get on with it, Christian? Just forget about them all. You can't win everybody. And that's true. And the Lord will save who the Lord's going to save. But it's up to us to just keep preaching. Amen. We boy was coming down the beach one day. Or pardon me, a man was coming down the beach one day. Seeing a wee boy on the beach... The beach was covered with thousands upon thousands of starfish. And the wee boy was grabbing one. And the tide was going out. And at the receding tide, he was grabbing one starfish and running as far as he could. And he threw the starfish. He runs the whole way back up the beach. Every time it's getting further away and he grabs another starfish. And he runs and he throws it back into the water. And he does it again and grabs a starfish and he comes and throws over and over. And the man watching the boy for a certain amount of time, he comes down to the boy and he says, Son, son, why bother? You'll never rescue them all. What does it matter? And the wee boy went over and lifted one starfish and he brought it to the man and he says, It matters to that one. It matters to that one. You know, the Lord Jesus sees every sheep, every single little sheep, every lost sheep, and he says, you matter to me. You matter to me. So they are personal. They are personal. One of his little ones, and he goes out until he finds it. They are personal. Secondly, they are precious. Precious. Not only does this shepherd seek, but we then read that the woman sweeps. 
the woman sweeps. She grabs a light and a lamp and she starts to sweep out the house, searching for the lost silver. The woman sweeps out. And the thing about this is, is the woman's silver is probably part of her diary. It was a sign or a symbol of her marriage betrothal. If she loses one of these things, it meant a lot. Maybe, sister, if you lose your wedding ring, you don't want to lose your wedding ring. Maybe you've been doing something, maybe soapy water, maybe you, brother, were yours, even if you were one I do. Maybe your soapy water just maybe went down the sink or you've lost it and the panic sets in and you're seeking it, trying to find it. This woman was similar. And she starts to sweep out the house. Imagine all the dust and all. Starts to get out all the rubbish and all the clutter out, doing everything and anything she can to find this silver. People might say, well, it's only one out of ten. What does it matter? You and I may not understand how valuable things are. And you may not understand how valuable a soul is. How valuable a soul is to the Lord. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verses 36 and 37. For what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You know what that tells me? Nothing this world affords can pay for your soul. Nothing in this earth, nothing on our planet, nothing in the banks. You see all the the banks and the buildings and all the oil that they're fighting over? Do you see all the monetary systems and all of those things that we hear about? See all the bonds and all the precious stones and jewel and gold and all of those things? None of it can afford your soul. What shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul, what shall he give in exchange for his soul? I ask you a question because you might be in here tonight and you might be saying, I'm only here just for the night. I thought I'd call in. You're very welcome. We're glad to see you. But maybe you don't know the Savior. Maybe you don't know the Lord Jesus. I want to ask you, if you're not saved, what would you offer the Lord on that day for redemption of your soul? What are you going to offer him? Are you going to offer him your religion? Are you going to offer him your denomination? Are you going to say I was a good Catholic? Or I was a good Protestant? Are you going to say I was a decent person? What are you going to say? What would you offer to God? Think about it because it's an affront. It's an affront to the sacrifice of Christ. Because Jesus paid your debt in full. Jesus paid your debt in full. And for you to offer anything outside of his full atoning blood sacrifice is an affront to say, you are not enough for me. I believe your blood will cleanse. I believe that you're a good man, Jesus. But that's as far as it goes. Friend, I want to tell you, You can offer him nothing but come by faith trusting in him alone. What shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What will you offer? Because then it will be too late. 
then there's no turning back. It's in this life and now that you must turn to Christ and trust in him alone. Notice something here about this woman. So the woman's brushing out. And let's go to chapter 15, verse 8. Either what woman having ten and seeds of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle, and sweep the house, and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbours to gather, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. So the first time we see the son, the shepherd, going looking for the lost sheep. Here we find that this woman is seeking the lost silver. Now here's something to take note of it. This woman may typify the ecclesia, the ecclesia of God. What's the ecclesia? The true blood-washed redeemed church. Filled with the Holy Ghost. Being sent out to look for the lost silver. You know what silver is? Silver speaks of redemption in the scriptures. Silver speaks of redemption. Here, through the preaching of the word and through the Holy Ghost, lifting up the Son of God, you are, we are, or should be the woman, as it were, who are going out to sweep and sweep with redemption news that men and women can be saved tonight, that men and women can turn to the Lord. Notice the place was cleansed. She got out a candle, a lamp, searching out under the beds, searching everywhere, cleaning it all out. Here is the light of the word of God, shining a light, looking for the silver. That's what the church should be. That's what you and I should be, shining a light in our nation, coming and shining a light in the things that are happening, coming and shining a light in people in darkness, coming and shining a light into the souls of men and women through the preaching of the word, looking for redemption that is found in Christ. So the woman here speaks of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit of God. Understand this. First of all, personal. Secondly, precious. I want you to understand this. You are precious. Praised and loved by your heavenly Father because the Holy Ghost has sought you out through the preaching of the word. I'll never forget the night I was saved. The Holy Ghost sought me out. The good shepherd in the power and person of the Spirit came and sought me out. I didn't look for him. He, looked for, he was looking for me. I didn't think of him. He was thinking of me. I wasn't watching for him. He was watching for me. I didn't search for him. He came and he sought me out. He was searching for me. He found me in a horrible pit. And in the Mary clay. He got right into it and he dug me out. And he set me on solid ground, brothers and sisters. He set you on solid ground. He set my feet, as the psalmist says, upon a rock. He hath established my goings. He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. And listen, here's your testimony. Many shall see it and shall fear and shall trust in the Lord. The Lord sought you when you, would, you didn't even know him. You weren't thinking about him. 
And you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. And yet he sent forth the Holy Ghost. He sent forth his spirit and the word through the preaching. And I remember hearing the preaching. And here was the thing that stuck in me. Even after the meeting. Even after I gave my life to Christ that night. Stuck in my ears. I heard it ringing. You go out those doors tonight. And you can walk out of here. And walk into a lost eternity. To a devil's hell. Well it scared the life out of me. Because this old sinner. This old drunkard, this addict on drugs, this man who was caught up in all sorts of trouble, this man was sitting there and he had lost everything that he ever owned and all that he ever had and there he was sitting after being revived after a two or three day binge on alcohol and drugs lying on the floor, found in an old bedside and there he was sitting in the presence of God, hearing the word, the Holy Ghost spoke and I gave my life to Christ. See that's what he does. That's what he does, not what I've done. Amen. You know, people have said in the change of life, that was many years ago, by the way. I'm over 21 now. And, right. <laughs> so are you. <clears throat> and I'll never forget it. Walking out the doors, I heard the voice in my head. You go out those doors tonight. You could go out into a lost eternity and you could go out to a devil's hell. Let it ring in your ears. The woman swept the house. The importance of being betrothed to the Savior. Can I ask you? Have you got your silver? Your redemption price? Have you been betrothed to the Savior? Something else thirdly and finally. In our Old Testament in the book of Exodus. In the book of Deuteronomy. And in Psalm 135, Israel is called by God a peculiar people. God's people are peculiar people. And they're still peculiar people in many ways. Notice in Titus, in the New Testament, chapter 2 and verse 14, he mentions it, he says in verse 13 and 14, looking for that blessed hope, And the glorious appearing of the great God, notice, and our Savior, or it's the great God, even our Savior. The great God is our Savior. Even our Savior, Jesus Christ, Titus 2 and 14, who gave himself that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself, notice, a peculiar people zealous of good works. We're a peculiar bunch tonight. The term here, peculiar, is a word, parousion. Parousion. And it means a people which have been possessed as a possession over and above all others. That he loved you so much. 
gives the idea of a family member. Now listen, let's be honest. You might love other children. But yours are extra special to you. Isn't that right? They're yours. That's the idea of Parousia. You love all these wee ones. But when it comes to your own, your own is extra special. That's Parousion. And the idea here is that God said to Israel, you're extra special to me. You're mine. And notice here in Luke 15, the sheep was the shepherd's possession. My sheep which was lost, he said, and is found again. The coin was the woman's possession. She lost her coin and found it again. And the son was the father's possession, his family member. The idea of this now, actually it's in these three parables, but I don't want to complicate things tonight. But this third and final piece, as we look at it, we have the father and two sons. The father and two sons. The younger son takes uh, the inheritance which was his of his father goes and spends it in Radis living. In other words, he goes into the world and he disappears into the world and he spends it in all the things he shouldn't have been spending it on. He spent his inheritance with Radis living. And then there's the older brother we hear when the, son come, the younger son comes back, also known as a prodigal son, the younger one. And the older son, he starts to complain. What's all this about him for? Why? why? Why are you doing all this? You've killed the fatted calf and so on. When you go home, you read 1 Kings chapter 11. In 1 Kings chapter 11, you have a key of prophecy. I'm getting an idea to preach on a few different keys through the Bible for you, help you. But 1 Kings chapter 11, we have Solomon sitting on the throne of Israel. And Solomon on the throne of Israel, he has an understudy called Jeroboam. Jeroboam, um, he is, is understudy, he's a promising young man. And Jeroboam, he um, is out one day with his new coat on. And this prophet called Ahijah comes along. And Ahijah takes off his new coat and rips it into 12 pieces. Imagine you out walking with your new coat on you, sister. Somebody pulling it off you and ripping it into 12 pieces on you. You'd have something to say, wouldn't you? I think you would. You too, brother. I don't think you'd get 12 done. Sure, they wouldn't. Not in Ulster, they wouldn't anyway, knowing the temperament of the people here. And he drips it into 12, and he gives 10 of the pieces to this young man called Jeroboam. He says, the Lord is going to rend the kingdom out of Solomon's hand, but not Solomon himself, for Solomon's father, David's sake, because David was so much loved by his father, by God. He says, and the next son that would come, the son that would come would be called Rehoboam. Not Jeroboam, Rehoboam is Solomon's son. And he says, the kingdom will be torn from him. Here's 10 pieces of cloth. You'll receive 10 tribes. And you're going to rule over them. Here's two pieces of cloth. For Rehoboam, that represents two tribes, which were Judah and Benjamin. And you can read that in 1 Kings chapter 11. And you can go on around there and read more. And it happened. And the kingdom of Israel became separate into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. 
Now, the whole way through Scripture, we start hearing about, for example, two sticks, two sons, two sisters, two kingdoms, and so on and so on. In the parables, the Lord Jesus is mindful of this because here we have two sons. Notice here what happens in this parable. By the way, the northern kingdom of Israel was carried away into captivity about 120 years before the southern kingdom was carried away. And they went into different dispersions to different places and then until their scatterings and regatherings. Notice this. The younger son, who's known as the prodigal, he is the northern kingdom. Came gentle, go among the nations going west. He became gentilized, as it were, in his ways. Still belonged to the father. Still his family son. Still off the seed of Abraham. But he became lost to himself. God loses nothing. He became lost to himself. And so we have the other son, the elder brother, as it's known. And the elder brother is the house of Judah. The house of Judah is a two-tribe kingdom in the south. And that is Judah and Benjamin. They get carried away into Babylon. We read of Daniel, and Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego. And then some of them come back. A whole lot happens in between that. People are converted who were never Abraham's seed to become Jews. Others mingled in Babylon. We had the Babylonian Talmud come out. And by the time the Lord Jesus is telling this parable, this was a whole odd mixture of religion put in with it. Babylonian Talmudism and all these different people talking to these Pharisees and scribes. So he tells this parable and they know exactly what he means. He says there's a son who went into the far country. And he would have fed himself with the husks in the field. Remember, Jesus says in one of the parables about the sower sowing the seed, and they ask him, what is the meaning of this? He says, this field is the word. So the northern kingdom are scattered first. Then the southern kingdom of Judah taken, and a remnant came back, and Jesus was born. This is where we are here. And he says, there's a prodigal son out there, lost sheep. But you see, what's going to happen? They're going to come to themselves. And they're going to pick themselves up then. They're going to bring themselves to their father's fold. How does that happen? Through the gospel. The gospel went forth. Men and women hearing the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Saving faith in him. Now the elder brother here in Luke 15. He represented jury. J-E-W-R-Y. Notice what they said in Luke 15. Or what he says, pardon me, in Luke 15. That's where I run down to verse 28. Pardon me, 25. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. Who said there shouldn't be music and dancing in the father's house? Huh? Well, if there's music and dancing in the father's house here, well, surely you and I should, shouldn't be too... Too shy at praising and rejoicing in him. Notice. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother come, and thy father hath killed the father calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. 
And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. Father was ministering to him. Verse 29, and he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed at any time. Can you see now, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he's saying, you are self-righteous. You're saying I haven't committed any sin. I have no, I've kept all these commandments and not one of them had. Jesus is saying this to him, this is who you are. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come and hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. The Jews had the temple. The Jews had the scrolls. They had the law. They had the prophets. They had the sacrifice. They had the Ark of the Covenant at one time. They had everything that was the Father's. She said, you had everything. They were away. But you had everything. And look what you've done with it. You get in the picture now? He says, but this here, young son, bringing them to me. Son, thou art ever with me and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make Mary and be glad for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. You see, as I close this, you are not only personal to your heavenly father you're precious to your heavenly father and you're peculiar to your heavenly father in other words you're born of his seed did you hear that Christian believer you're born of incorruptible seed of the word of God He sought you out. He sought Adam out in the garden. He sought Abraham out of the Ur of the Chaldees. He sought Moses out in the backside of the desert. He sought Joseph out of the pit. And he sought him out of the prison. He sought Israel out of Egypt. He sought Elijah in a cave and before he found him under a tree. This great shepherd became flesh and he left the throne of glory, heaven's realm, like him down in the person of his beautiful son. And he walked this earth And he lived a life you can't live. And he kept the law that you cannot keep. And he died a death you should have died. That you might be saved. Redeemed. Bought with the precious blood of Christ. Christ loves you. You're peculiar 
He loves you over and above all others. People don't like that. God loves everybody the same. No, he doesn't. Listen, he says, Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. And even if, the, even if you want to go to the weakest, a weaker saying in a translation, Jacob have I loved. God said it. Jacob have I loved. Esau have I loved less. He says of Israel, you of all are the only family that I've known of all the families of the earth. That is intimately and personally. And brothers and sisters, he loves you. You're his choice. You're his choice. Look, the old Pharisees were self-righteous. I don't need him. Maybe there's plenty of Pharisees. We think a Pharisee is someone, a modern-day Pharisee, someone who just crosses T's and dots I's and are very, you know, stiff upper lip and starch collar and a and a, and a neck like brass, you know. You know, really starchy and you. No, not really. Maybe part of it. Not a Pharisee was. A man who thought he could do it all himself. A man who thought that his religion was enough. A man who thought, I don't need this Jesus alone. That's a modern day Pharisee. So I'll finish with this. Here's what the Lord Jesus, he was speaking to the Pharisees in Luke 15. And they understood exactly what he meant. You shall be out of the kingdom. He actually says that they'll come from the east and the west and sit down with Father Abraham and the kingdom and the children of the kingdom, those who are outside of Christ, will be cast out. That is, he meant those of Israel who have not accepted him. So I finish with this. They that be whole hath no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I am not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Listen, I don't need Jesus means, well, you're the righteous. That it, he means self-righteous. I don't need Jesus for salvation. I can do it. I'm a, I, I've got a good upbringing and a good lifestyle and I've got everything. I don't need him. He says, you're, you're self-righteous, religiously self-righteous. <coughs> ask you a question. Which church saves you? Does anybody know? Which church saves you? None. None. Is that you, Kathy? Well, you're right, Kathy. Not this one, nor this man. No church saves. Christ alone is the Savior. And one must say, I'm a sinner, sin sick. They that be whole, no need of 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 a physician or a doctor, but they that are sick, He says, I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. God bless his word to us tonight.